Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. What a great introduction. He gives me uh, introductions that are, I'm sure, more than, than is adequate, but um, you just got to take it. And um, we have been blessed to, to be here. Um, it's been a great, a great blessing. It's always been a great blessing to come to this church. We've many times come and we've come as people that receiving. Many times we've come to Faileen Sparks when she's been here and um, going back before Pastor Jeff, uh, Pastor Tom and Pastor Margaret. Uh, Pastor Tom has always been a father in the faith to me. He always moved me. And uh, we just honour them because they, they've sunk a... Uh, or built and sunk a foundation that is great and uh, um, we're seeing Julianne and, and Jeff build on that foundation and it's like they're, they're starting on the shoulders of Tom and Margaret and uh, they can go further and they can do more because of what has already been laid and um, we lay a foundation, but we all lay a foundation in the, in, in the Lord and in the foundation. And there's a lot of churches that are falling over, but I predict that this one will continue because of its basis in the Lord and its fullness of the Spirit. And you have in your midst two excellent ministers uh, in, in Julianne and... and um, I've forgotten his name, and Jeff. <laughs> but uh, you have two excellent ministers because of, of the, the spirit of God on them. And, and Jeff, is, Jeff is such a small man, but he's like dynamite on the inside. And he carries the dunamis of the power of God. And that's what, that's what we need. That's what we need. I was at his place last night, and he... He looked after me and was very hospitable to me. And, um, and I said to him then, I said, in you is an excellent spirit. And uh, you remember in the Bible that, um, what was his name? Daniel had an excellent spirit. And really in both of them, there's an excellent spirit. I mean, you just look at everything is done with excellence. Just look at this. I just come for a weekend, but look at what they put up the salt of the earth, and, and they perceived that that's what it would be, but just the excellence of even the presentation of what's been done. You have excellent ministers, and, and I really honour them for what they're doing and believe that they'll go far and there is a great future. And, uh, and Jeff's got that dunamis that is just pushing him, pushing him forward. Well, we don't know exactly what the Lord will do this morning, and I don't know exactly what the Lord will do, but I can tell you this, that I can't do anything without him. It's pretty straightforward. And, and you're, you're, probably, you're probably very getting very comfortable, Julianne, but I'm wondering if you would do one more song this morning. I want you to do I Exalt Thee. We did it in the, we did it in the prayer meeting this morning. This is a special song to me. I have been listening to it recently as well. But I remember going back in 1978, I walked into a church, one of the first Pentecostal churches I walked into. And they were singing, I exalt thee. And they sang it over and over and over again. Excuse me, I get a bit emotional. But the power of God came on that place and filled the house. And I feel it might come again today and fill this house. So however you are, if you can stand or you can sit, you're going to sing, whatever you're going to do. Interesting sort of morning. Um, I was, um, I've prepared for, I think, the last month. And I must have made, I don't know, maybe easy half a dozen different sermons and still can't, couldn't find the right one. Uh, thought I had it right. I went to church last Sunday. I was in Mackay. I went forward for prayer and they said, what do you want to pray for? What do you want to be prayed for? And I said, oh, well, I have to minister in Charters Towers. I really need help with that. Um, and he prayed for me. He said, God's going to change your message. So I suppose it wasn't 
any surprise really when I got up fairly early this morning with another scripture on my heart and I thought, no, surely, no, no. But it, it, got, it got worse than that. It got worse than that because the scripture was out of the song, the songs of Solomon. And I thought, no, no. The songs of Solomon's a love story. It's a love story. I thought, I don't want to go there. Let the resident minister do that there. That's a, big, that's a job for Jeff. I don't want to go there. I, I, I certainly don't want to talk about love, sex and marriage because even though, even though God made it, I get embarrassed and go red. I can't do it. <laughs> I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. But you know, you know that partial obedience is still disobedience. Jonah went. He went. He was supposed to go to Nineveh, but he, he promptly went down to the ship and got on a ship going to Tarshish. Tarshish. I can't even say it right, Tarshish. He went where he wasn't supposed to go. Apparently, if you look at the map, it's the direct opposite direction to where Nineveh was. But um, three days in the belly of a whale, or a big fish, the Bible says, which was most likely a whale, kind of changed his mind. <laughs> and I tell you, God's got a way of getting you back on track and um, he was willing after he'd been down there for three days to go God's way so I, I don't want that experience so I think I'll try to go God's way and some of this might be a bit disjointed this morning so because of that so you'll probably find that it could be a it could be a, a an early dinner and it could be a quick trip home and if I say the wrong thing I think Jeff's got bouncers here they'll just carry me out and say, get in your car and go now. <laughs> Maybe I'll need to escape, I don't know. But anyway, um, I remember coming here so many times that one of the, one of the times that I came here, um, there was Faline Sparks. I often come to Faline Sparks when she's visiting here and they were, they were rich times and I think she prophesied over everyone in the house just about that would allow her to and uh, that was all good. But I remember her opening one time and she didn't even turn to the, the verses in the Bible but she went to, she went to the book of Hosea and uh, the book of Hosea is kind of a minor prophet. We kind of don't major on it to any great extent lots of times. But in that book, Hosea is a priest and uh, he is instructed by God. He is instructed by God to take... Uh, a woman who is a harlot, a prostitute, and marry her. And uh, this is very unbecoming for a priest and very uncoming for it to be in the word of God. But there it is, and he marries this woman who's a harlot, and um, they have a couple of children, and the children have specific names, and there's quite a message in all of that. But uh, then after she's had a couple of children and after a while um, she decides to leave him and go out again. And she goes out into the dry places and tries to um, return to her old lovers. She says, I'll return to my old lovers. So she goes out there and uh, she can't find them. And um, the Bible talks about how he had provided the the, uh, the corn and the wine and so on, but, but now there was no provision and it was dried up and the land was denuded. And so was she. And she couldn't find her old lovers, so she ended up, uh, really, she was stripped naked and she ended up being just uh, to be sold as, as a slave. And God instructed Hosea to go back and to buy her back at auction and bring her back. Sorry, I'm a bit emotional. But he brought her back. He brought her back. And you think, why on earth is this story in the Bible? And the story is in the Bible. I'll tell you why it's in the Bible. The story is in the Bible because it's a picture of our Heavenly Father, where we went off over after other lovers, and we went off after other things in our life.
We went off serving other gods, you might as well say, and other things that were more important to us. And God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to pay a price, to pay the price at auction and go and bring, her, bring us back and go us, bring us back into the sheepfold, go and bring us back into his presence and into the good stuff that he had for us. And it's, it's quite a moving story and I don't intend to go into, I don't intend to even open the book of Hosea today, but you can read it yourself. And I've taken a bit of liberty and paraphrased it, but it really is there. That story really is there of how he went and brought us back. We had all played the harlot. We'd served other gods and he brought us back. And uh, I will quote this one, John chapter, uh, no, First John chapter 4 verse 19 says, we love God because he first loved us. And that is probably one of the keys to what I want to share on today. We love God be- because he first loved us. You know, if you, I know in my business, if I, uh, if I do something for somebody, even though I have to charge them for it, because I've done, the, done something for them, there's a certain amount of love that comes back. But we love, uh, we love God because uh, he first loved us. And uh, so, but what I, the theme I want to talk on today, or what I feel I've been given to talk on, is really that God is a jealous God. And he won't share you with another. And I've discovered that he's a jealous God. And we probably don't think of, of God has, having an attribute like jealousy. But I want to read a couple of scriptures out of the Bible just to support what I'm saying. So if you've got your Bibles, and I have to get me glasses because I need headlights. If you've got your Bibles, I want to go back into the commandments of God in the Old Testament for a start and just go into um, Exodus, I think Exodus 20, if I haven't got the, if I've got the chapter right. And I'm not going to read the whole Ten Commandments that are in there, but uh, I just want to home in on one and particularly on that word jealous. So... If you would read um, Exodus 20, you should be in verse 5. And it says, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them. Uh, When he's talking about to them, it's uh, graven images from the previous verse. You shall not bow yourself to them, nor serve them. for For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. He says there clearly that he is a jealous God. And uh, it goes on to say, visiting visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and the fourth generation of them that hate me. I normally take that verse out of the Bible to preach on and to explain uh, that the sins of the fathers are visited to the third and the fourth generation because he's a jealous God. But if we if we... If we, obviously the blessing is, is taken off in, in this particular instance. But of course if you go on in the uh, verses there, in the next verse it says, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. I think some, uh, I think some uh, Bibles actually say showing mercy to a thousand generations and I like that version better. But he, it, it's... Um, the, the blessing is somewhat lifted off when we serve other gods. It really is. And uh, he visits the iniquity. With iniquity is a better, a better word for iniquity is lawlessness. It's, got, it, it's not popular to talk about sin anymore, but iniquity is actually, in a broad sense, it's just sin. But it's lawlessness. And he's a jealous God who will not share you with another. You'll have no other graven images before him. You'll have no other gods before him. And um, so I I want you to, uh, while you've got your Bibles open there, I want you to turn to the Songs of Solomon. I can't get away from it. It's the Songs of Solomon or it's nothing at all this morning. 
Songs of Solomon, last chapter, which would be chapter 8. And you'll probably find that you've heard part of this in a song that some of the, uh, people, some of the Christians sing. Verse 6, it's chapter 8, verse 6. It says, Set a seal upon thy heart as a seal upon thy arm, for love is as strong as death, jealousy is cruel as the grave, the coals thereof are coals of fire, which has the most vehement uh, flame. And um, we see in this, in this verse here again, you see that word jealousy. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. I guess it's a fairly strong language, but many of you would have already experienced someone that's died in your life and you notice that the grave won't give them back, generally speaking. A few people have been raised from the dead, but usually once they're in that grave, exception of Jesus Christ and a few others, uh, that, that grave is jealous and it won't give them back at all. And uh, it's, it's a, this jealousy is, is strong as death and it's, it's cruel as the grave. And uh, in this verse here it says, set a seal, set a seal upon my heart and a seal upon, upon our arm that we be sealed for the kingdom of God and uh, that we not go into that place of serving, serving other gods. And um, I've just lost a train of thought here somewhere. I wanted you to, well, we're still in, we're still in uh, Songs of Solomon. I want you to just turn back a page or two. I know there's a reason why I didn't want to read this book. But it's in here, and I want you to turn to Chapter 5. Just while we're there, and I'm going to bring some other things into this in a minute. But it, it says, this whole um, chapter, or really the whole book, is a love story between the king and the maiden. But how many of you know that we are the bride of Christ and it's really about the Lord and us? That's what it's about. It's done in a, in a worldly setting, but it actually is a picture of a spiritual heavenly setting. And in this, in this verses here, he says, I'm coming to my garden. And I want you to imagine that this is the Lord God. He said, I've come into my garden and my sister, my spouse, I've gathered my mirth with my spice and I've eaten my honeycomb and my honey and I've drunk my wine with my milk. I can't imagine anything worse, drinking wine with milk. But anyway, oh friends, drink ye, drink ye abundantly, oh beloved. And then it's really, it's really the lady that, that, picks up in verse 2 and she says, I sleep but my heart waketh. It is the voice of my beloved that knocketh. Someone's knocking on my door. This is what it's saying. And, he, and, and he's saying, open to me my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled, for my head is filled with dew and my locks with drops of the night. And uh, so, so here he's come to her and in the, those old days apparently the, the queens or the, the, the uh, king's ladies didn't sleep in the big bed with the king, not like me and Roxanne, they were separate and there's a hallway or something in between and, and they went across and knocked on the door it seems and I, something intimate was supposed to happen when they went in there and I don't want to go any deeper than that but you use your imagination. Anyway, 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 God made love, sex, and marriage. It's not my idea. He did it. So I've got nothing to do with it. And uh, so anyway, anyway, it goes on, and, and she says in verse 3, she says, I've put off my coat. How, sh how, how shall I put it on? Like, how hard it is it to put on, put on your coat? And so she doesn't want to answer the... Basically, she doesn't want to answer the door. She says, I've washed my feet. You know, if you've got... If you've got um, dirt floors and you wash your feet before you get into bed, you don't want to get out of bed again. I washed my feet, but I don't want to, I don't want to get them dirty again. No way. And, um, and, sh and so it says, verse 4, My beloved put his 
hand uh, by the hole of the door and my bowels were moved towards him. So verse 5 says, I rose up. She rose up and she said, um, uh, my beloved and my hands dropped with myrrh and my fingers with sweet-smelling myrrh upon the handles of the lock. And verse 6 is an important verse because she says, I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had, had withdrawn himself and was gone, and my soul failed when he spoke. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. And the Bible says in Jeremiah, I think it's chapter 33, to seek the Lord while he might be found, while he may be found. Because there's times, there's times when if you miss the opportunity to have that intimate time with him, you've just missed the opportunity. And then when you're ready and you're ready to open the door, he's gone. He's not there anymore. See, opportunity uh, strikes, uh, oh, there's a saying that opportunity strikes once and in my life sometimes it's struck twice but don't guarantee it after that. You know, there's an opportunity to come into the fullness of God and into the intimate things of what he has for you and if you, just, if you were just too lazy to open the door, you were just too lazy to get out of bed. If, you love, if he loved you, you'll love him. And you'll get out of bed and open the door. And there's, there's, there's people all over the place that are, are just, just not responding to his love. They come, they come to church once a month maybe, but they couldn't care the other weeks and rodeo was on. And, uh, had, to, had to water the garden or do a little bit of something. So how good was the love? You know, oh, slept in slept in something like that it goes on all the time it's so disheartening it must be so disheartening it so disheartening for the for the lord i wanted to i wanted to share a few more things because i aren't really i aren't really finished uh, i want to share a bit out of deuteronomy chapter 6 I'm sorry this is all out of the Old Testament this morning, but how many of you know that you have to have the whole New and Old Testament to give the full counsel of God? And uh, out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, I want to uh, recite a bit out of that, and then we're going back into Jeremiah again, and I mightn't take all much, much longer after that. I can't find Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is where... God recited all the law and all, everything that had been done so far. And uh, you know they were to go into a promised land. And uh, they did enter into a promised land eventually. And um, it says here, starting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, it says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. How many of you know that's also in the New Testament? And these words which I command thee this, this day shall be in thy heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently to thy children, and thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thy house, and when thou walkest in the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and shall be as frontlet, frontlets between thy eyes, and thou shalt write them on the posts of thy house and on thy gates." How many of you know that when you, when you um, put a fridge magnet up with a scripture on it or you put, uh, you put some, something up in your house that reminds you of the word of God, that that's a scriptural thing to do? To, to put that thing up, it's frontlet, frontlets, frontlets between your eyes. It's teaching even your children the things of the Lord. And I'm up to verse 10 and it says, And it shall be. When the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into a land which I swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not, and that thou shalt have eaten and be full. And this is the warning in verse 12. It says, Then beware lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth 
out of the land of Egypt and from the house of bondage. And the thing I wanted to point out is when you, when you have eaten, when God has so blessed you, I'm a great preacher on preaching on blessing. And for anything today, I would rather be here preaching on blessing. But when you are blessed and you are blessed to the max and you are full, even overflowing, the warning is that you forget not you forget not the Lord your God that has brought you out of sinfulness, that has brought you out of hell, so to speak, and brought you out of despair. Forget not who it is and how, how he has blessed you. I want you to turn with me today. There's going to be a lot of turning today. We turn to um, Jeremiah chapter 2. I've been reading this in the last day or so. It might only have been this morning. But anyway, it kind of it kind of fitted in. And you wanna you wanna see if you can get some sort of revelation out of this today, because I, I can tell you that, that what I'm saying today isn't gonna minister to everybody. I would that it would minister to everybody. But the truth is it's not ministering to everybody, the truth is it's ministering to somebody. And you might as well say to yourself right now, well, I might as well be that somebody today. I might as well be that person. It's, it's going to minister to me. You should turn to your neighbour right now and say, this is for me today. At least you're awake. <laughs> Anything to keep you awake. So we, we'll go, uh, Jeremiah chapter 2. I really want verse 13, but I might, I might back up to verse 11 just to try and get the context a little bit. Hath a nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods? It sounds like Australia, actually. But my people have changed their glory so that, that which, to, to that which does not profit. Be astonished, O heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be ye very desolate, saith the Lord. For my people have committed two evils, they have forsaken me, sorry, they have forsaken me the fountain of living waters and have hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. I want to try and speak on this for a little bit because who, how many of you know, I wonder, that the fountain of living water comes from the Lord Jesus Christ? And he says, if any man, if any man be hunger and thirst, let him come to me and drink. That's from John chapter 7, verse 37. And he talked to the woman at the well and he said, if you knew it, who it was that was talking to you, you would have asked him, you would have asked me for living water. And that's the living water that we all need and we all have and we all need and we all need to um, preserve preserved but they, they have made um, they have forsaken the living waters and there's so many people there's so many in the world that have forsaken the living waters they can't see any purpose in it anymore they can't see any value in it anymore so they're not in the church of the living God they are nowhere near there but they have hooded hooded Who'd, they've cut basically they've cut themselves out cisterns broken cisterns that can hold no water what they've what they've done here is they've made things they've made man-made things that can't hold the water they can't hold the water of the living God it's like a dam with a hole in the bottom or a bathtub with no plug you can make things that you can make things that you can worship even but it's got, no, it's got no life in it at all. And the gods that we serve in this country these days, um, one of the things that's right at the top is sport. There's nothing wrong with sport, but it's taken the place of God. And when you take, when you take other things and put them in the place of God, it becomes like man-made cisterns. But sport's only a small, it's a small part of it. Money is a, is, a, 
is something that many, many, many worship. And how many of you know we've all got to have money? We can't live without it. But it's not money that's evil. It's the root of, it's, it's the love of money that becomes the root of evil. And we go down that road and people couldn't be, couldn't be bothered or I've got to work, I can't, I can't possibly give God any time because money now is number one. And that's what one of the, I probably it'd be good if I didn't get started on it, but one of the reasons why we bring the tithe unto God is because that deals with our, um, our greed and our lust for money. And it puts it back in the hand of God and in the house of God. And it is actually a cleansing thing for the money that we have left. And if you bring a tenth to God, you bring your tenth in and give it to God, which he says it's his. You bring that part in, your 90% that you have left will be more blessed than if you have your 100% without the blessing. Because there's a curse that comes. And so it is... Uh, that these are the things that we make gods out of. We had a nephew staying at our place. But he's like so many others that I find in the world. I tried to get him to come to church. And he had sort of come towards Christ in a sort of a way at times, but not really walked, not really ever walked full-heartedly, or not for any length of time at any, any rate. And um, he said, no, no, he said, I, I can't come because I'm going to have some me time. It was Sunday morning. He's going to have some me time. I find a lot of people are in me time. Oh, that's me time to sleep in. Oh, that's me time to go fishing. There's nothing wrong with fishing. Enjoy your fishing. Jesus fished. He went out in the boat. Nothing wrong with fishing, but it's me time, me time taking the place of God's time. I mean, how much really do we love him? He says, uh, we, the Bible says we love him because he first, he first loved us. What I want to say too while I'm talking about me time is that I learned somewhere along the way that Balaam and God were at loggerheads, for want of a better word in the Bible. The fight was always between the gods of Baal and the God of the Bible, the God of heaven. And we know which one wins in the end. But many times the children of Israel followed Baal. And one of the reasons why they were why the book of Jeremiah was there is that they were taken into captivity uh, up into the north and, uh, and, and uh, they were in captivity for 70 years up there and it was a judgment of God on them because they served other gods and uh, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't repent. But we wanted to tell you this about Baal. I learned somewhere along the way that Baal is the self-god and I think there's a lot of people in the world today that are actually worshipping Baal without knowing it because they're not in the church of the living God. They think they're just doing what I want to do, but they're actually worshipping Baal because they've got all these falsities. And it's really, when you boil it down, everything is about me. I want to go here. I want to go there. I want to do this. I want to do that. It's about me. It's not about God at all. There's no God involved in that. And so I think that we've got a whole lot of Baal worshippers. And I've written down here, but if you be willing and obedient, God said you'll, you'll um, eat the good of the land. I think I'm not far off. I'm not far off finished, but I've got to, I've got to bring this around. Is What is this message about? What is the take... What is the take home on it? What's the take away on it? Because you'll get a message like this and think, well, how does that affect me? What do I, what's that all about? And I think that really this is an old-fashioned call to repentance. Repentance is to change your mind, to turn toward God instead of away from God. And uh, one of Jesus' 
favorite messages was to repent. Repent. And uh, John the Baptist was repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The Bible says it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the, the kingdom. But there's only one way in, and that's repent. Change your mind. Come to the Lord. One of the things we find in life is that uh, we, cannot, we cannot command love. I can't command you to love the Lord. But it's got to be a response to him firstly loving us. And that the Bible supports that. It's a response to him firstly loving us. So I wrote down here that faith is a decision. If you have faith, it's a decision. Before it's ever a feeling, it's a decision. My great friend and uh, somewhat mentor, Pastor Clark Taylor, says faith is a decision, and it is. You decide. You decide to believe God today or not. And every person in the place and every person in the community, they either decide to believe God or not. But I want to take it a little step further today and tell you that love is also a decision. Your decision to love God is your decision. It's no one else's decision. It's your decision. The decision is, will you love God or won't you? Or will you just tend the garden on Sunday morning? Or will you be in the house to see what God will do? I would love to see a church, and, that, and I have been in a similar church, where you weren't, you weren't game or willing to miss one Sunday because you didn't know what God would do or who God would lead to the Lord that day or what miracle would take place or who would get out of a wheelchair. And I'm, I'm hungry to see that come back. You talk about broken cisterns, and we were talking about broken cisterns a minute ago, um, how the people have gone away from the fountain of God. And uh, I go to some of these big churches sometimes, and they've, they've got those smoke machines going. I don't like the smoke machines. They're not sinful, per se. They're not a sinful thing. They're trying to make an effect and and present something. But I tell you what, they're fake. They're like the news media, they're fake most of the time. I tell you, if we go back to the start of our movement, of the Pentecostal movement, the reinvention of the Pentecostal movement in, in the Azusa Street Mission, they didn't, have, they didn't have smoke machines, but the cloud of God filled the house and did creative miracles. And if you go back into the Old Testament, into the tabernacle, there were times when the cloud so filled the house that even Moses could not get into the house and nobody could get into the house because of reason of the cloud. And it's an interesting thing to follow, to follow the cloud in the Old Testament because the cloud was the presence of God. People have these smoke machines going and they say, they say, oh, wonderful presence of God. I th honestly, I can't feel it, but I'll take your word for it. But I think it's a broken system. I think it's, I think it's fake, and it's not real. But there is a real. There is a real. But you have to return. You have to return to the, 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 you have to return to the dunamis. You have to return to, with repentance. You have to return to, to the love of God. I just threw that in there. Anyway, I was on love is also a decision. And I had a decision to love Roxanne. She'd beat me if I changed my mind, but I had a decision. <laughs> Are you all still there? I've got a few smiles. I'm making sure you don't go too, sleep, too sleepy today. So if I didn't love Roxanne, that would also be a decision. There was a lady just recently... I really felt for her. It was in a business situation. I went to get a bale of hay and she was there. I'd met her a few times before. And um, she was very, um, I think, depressed might be the right word. I bought my bale of hay and I left and there were other people in the shop. A couple of hours later, the spirit of the Lord come on me. And I said, you better go back. 
I just couldn't leave it alone. I drove all the way back to go and see if she was all right. And um, she explained to me that she'd been separated from her husband for about two weeks or something and the marriage was over and she was pretty distraught and she was pretty wondering whether she'd done the right thing. And You know, these places we go through in life are pretty hard. And um, she said one thing, she said, sometimes they say they love me but there's no, there's nothing. There's, no, there's nothing to back that up. It's just like words. And um, it must have been just a brilliant moment of the Holy Spirit because I said to her, love is a decision. I don't know where that came from, but I discovered, I've discovered it and lived it, but still didn't know it. Love is a decision. And I said, it'll start as a decision when you decide or not decide to love somebody. And initially, sometimes, there's absolutely no emotion. I've decided to love you. I don't know anything about you, but there's no, there's no emotion. There's no emotion at all. But as you continue, as you continue to confess that I love you, the feeling starts to come and the emotion starts to get there. I listened years ago to Reinhard Bonnke. How many know Reinhard Bonnke? few know people know Reinhardt's gone to heaven and we miss him actually because there was no one like Reinhard Bonnke and there's no one like you either you're special and you're different and all of us are on a journey but I listened to Reinhard Bonnke and he was telling a story he was telling a story about uh, a man who him and his wife uh, their marriage was on the rocks and it was finished it wasn't going to survive, and uh, Reinhard says in his best, best English German that he speaks, this man says, I must do something about my marriage. So he, he thought, what can I do? And uh, he thought for a while and he said, I'm going to tell her that I love her. So he didn't feel like he did love her, but he said, I'm going to do it. So he woke up in the morning. Honey was asleep. So he shook Honey, woke up Honey, peered into her, her eyes, and he said, Honey, I love you. Oh, okay. So anyway, nothing happened. Next day, Honey, I love you. Did it again. It kept going on. He decided, well, I'm going to stick at it. So he'd shake her in the morning. She'd wake up. He'd peer into her eyes, he'd say, honey, I love you. He said, it went on for a while. He said, after three weeks, he believed it himself. <laughs> well, that's not the end of the story. After six weeks, she believed it too. And they never did get a divorce. But see, it's a decision. And then it's an emotion. And the decision is, will you love God? And how much will you love God? Will you please God? Will you seek to please God? Will you seek to serve God? Or won't you? How much? How much? So this is a call to repentance today, and I think I've made my point, and I don't need to make it anymore. This is the job that God gave me today, and this is the word he gave me to, to share. So can you, can you come, please, Julianne? We want, to, we, want to, we want to hold our altar call today because partial obedience is disobedient, disobedience. And I don't think there's one of us here, and certainly I'm one of the ones that has never been in full obedience. And sometimes it's difficult to find that place of full obedience and come to it. I think everyone in the house should be on the altar and I should be on the front row myself. But if you'd like prayer today special, would you come? Would you come? I think everyone here has probably given their life to Christ. But if you've never given your life to Christ, and if you've never said yes, yes to Jesus, you've never said, I love you and I'll serve you, would you come? If you've never experienced the love in your heart, 
been taken away all your sins, would you come? If you've never experienced giving you, him giving you that new chance, would you come? I was birthed into this thing partly through the efforts of Billy Graham, Clark Taylor's, Ivan Waldox and others that believed God. They loved God. And they put out the invitation, will you come? Your life's a mess. But Jesus says, I love you. But will you love me? Will you come? Will you come? I have no idea what God's going to do or how I'm even going to pray. But I invite you to come. This altar is open. If no one comes, I think I'll stand there myself because I need, I need full obedience. It took me 20 years. I told the people yesterday, it took me 20 years to obey and go to Bible college. I was a new Christian. I love farming. I talked myself out of it. it. Took 20 years to obey. You know, he took away the farm. He took away my tractor, my header. I went to a place called Roma. I didn't want to go there, but Roxanne said it'll give us a new start. We used to get the map out of Queensland and said, where will we go? We went to Roma. I didn't have a job. It was a mess. Absolute mess. Anyway, I, I got a job driving taxis. God taught me about loving people. Sorry about the emotion. God taught me about loving people. People that were destitute. People that were drunk. I drove drunks around. I'd come from a good farm to driving drunks on a pub crawl at night. Got belted up and ended up in hospital because I wasn't very streetwise. It's given me signs. Was that the sign? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And I was there. I got involved again with Christian Outreach Centre. There's a man there called Bob Spitz. He loved God. He loved God like that man I've ever seen. When he prayed, when he prayed, all heaven moved. One day he was so drunk in the spirit he couldn't stand up. He crawled along the floor and he touched Roxanne's toe because he couldn't stand up to pray for her. And the power of God just went from her feet all the way through. And Bob taught us so much. I went to Bible college afterwards. It took 20 years for God to get me there. Only now it was harder. I had a wife and four kids. Back those days I was only single. But God got me there. Because there's a journey. And God's got a way for you. And he won't give up. He set a seal upon your heart, a seal upon your arm. He's as jealous as the grave, and he won't let go. I can tell each one of you today, he won't let you go, and he won't give in, and he won't give up, and he'll bring you back to the throne of grace. He'll buy you back like Hosea went. Hosea went to that auction brought his wife back brought her back home and he'll bring you back home if you've never given your life to Christ come if you're backslidden and you just say oh, just not where I ought to be I've known God but I'm not where I ought to be you need to come today you need to come if you say I know God's got a destiny 
destiny for me, but I haven't been willing to obey. This is the day to say I'm willing. And maybe you don't feel you are willing, but you say, yes, I'm willing. And the more you say it, the more you confess it, the more it'll come about. And the emotion will come with it. In Jesus' name. I'm all done. The altar's open. If you want to come today, come.